If you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 4, and uh, we are looking, looking at the church, and Paul is begging the church at Ephesus, as, and as he's, he's pleading with us as well here in the Ridgecrest of Emmanuel Baptist Church, um, based on what he has described God having done in all of our lives, followers, true followers, believers in Jesus Christ, based on God's grace in our life, Paul says, now walk worthy of your calling. And so that's what we've been looking at, and we're going to continue to do so this morning, is what this worthy walk looks like. And again, this walk is based upon doctrine. The first three chapters of Ephesians. Church, doctrine is important. You know, a lot of churches today have gotten away from doctrine. I mean, they just want to tickle the ears of the parishioners. Pastors do. And they just want to talk or deal with felt need topics. But it is important that we know what the Bible says, what God has done in each of our lives, because in knowing this, it's going to impact our behavior. It's going to influence how we live our lives for Jesus Christ. And so this, this doctrine, this, this, this knowledge, this truth this invisible spiritual truth that God has done on the inside of every believer's heart and life, now it needs to be reflected on the outside visibly. And so this is where we are in chapter 4. Chapter 4 begins a new emphasis on the practical application of living the Christian life. And so uh, with that said, we're going to continue our look at verses 1 through 6. And uh, we didn't get very far last week. We just got into um, the first characteristic of that walk uh, last Sunday. And uh, we're not going to get much further this Sunday. We're just going to look at the next word, okay? And the next word is gentleness or meekness. But let's read um, Ephesians 1, 4 through 6. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And so verse 2 deals with uh, behavior. Walk worthy of the calling to which 
He has called you to with all humility. Now that word worthy in the Greek is the word axios, okay? And it means equivalent. And just as God has poured out all of his blessings, and we've looked at those in verse chapters 1 through 3, as he's poured out all his blessings into our lives uh, internally, now that needs to be reflected externally in how we behave, how we live out our, our life with, with Christ. And again, um, it requires truth. And Paul primarily focuses on truth. But it's not just truth. It's also spirit. It is experience. We need to experience the love of God in our life. Some churches, they focus purely on the feelings, purely on the experience and the love of God. But when it comes to worshiping God, we are to worship him in both spirit and in truth. It's uh, both sides of the same coin, okay? And, uh, and so I just want to remind you of chapter 3 and verses 14 through 19. We looked at this again last week, and, uh, and we wanna, I want to look at it again this morning. Paul's prayer, based on all the do- doctrine that he had shared with the church, Verse 14, Paul says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant to you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. We primarily experience these truths and who God is in our life through the word. It's through the word, what the word says, but also through suffering, through the hard times, the difficult times in life, through, through um, the darkness and, and the depth and the despondency we might find ourselves in. It's, it's through those low points that we can experience that God's love, that God's presence goes beyond where you are at. God is holding you. His love is higher than you and I can comprehend. His love is lower than you or I can comprehend. It is wider. It includes everybody, both Jews and Gentiles, not just those who live perfect lives. Nobody lives perfect lives. We are all qualified for the love of God. His love is that wide. And then his love 
is beyond our comprehension in terms of length. It, it begins before eternity, before, before God created the heavens of the earth, Paul says, and it reaches far into eternity. That's God's love for each and every one of his children. We come to understand and, and, and believe and experience those things. It's not just knowledge, but it surpasses knowledge, Paul's praying for, that we would understand these things, that it surpasses knowledge, that we would experience this, experience the power of his love and his presence in our life. Have you been there? Are you there? I'm not there all the time. But there have been times where I have desperately needed the touch of God in my life in a difficult period. And God has answered that prayer. And Paul wants us to experience this within the context of the church family. And that's what we are to be about when we come together. What saith the Lord and how it applies to our life. And I know that some who are watching by Facebook this morning are physically unable to be with us this morning. But just know, friends, that the love of God far surpasses any depth of despair you might find yourself in this morning. He is there, and he is holding you. He is a God who knows. He is a God who hears. That's our God. And then, since so Paul is telling us in chapter 4, verse 2, verse 3, no, verse 2, that with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Now, we looked at uh, humility la last week, and uh, I want to look at it more again this morning before we go to gentleness. But why are these characteristics so important in the life of a believer and the life of a church so that we might maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. God wants his church to be unified, the Bible says, to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Why is peace, why, why is this unity so important? I shared this last week. Number one, Paul is suffering for it. Paul is uh, suffering for the mystery that has been revealed to him, that God has brought both Jew and Gentile together. There's no longer a wall of separation. <clears throat> and this message has been very controversial, especially to the Jews, but to the Gentiles as well. And Paul is in prison writing to this church for this very fact that the mystery of what, what God has done through the life of the church 
has been revealed to Paul, and he is in prison for it. So Paul is suffering for this truth. Christ died for this reality. The Bible says in chapter 2 that when Christ died on the cross, um, he took two people groups. He took the Jews and the Gentiles, and he made them one new man, one new body, the body of Christ. Christ died to make this happen. This was so important to Jesus. And then number three, it demonstrates externally what God has done invisibly in each of our hearts and lives. So maintaining this unity is critical and a responsibility for every believer in the life of a church. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 and 9 turn there for a minute. This is, uh, <clears throat> this is exactly what Ephesians speaks of uh, in ver- chapters 1 through 3. But in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, Paul tells Timothy, share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his purpose and grace, which he gave to us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. I want to just encourage you, if you've uh, missed the first three chapters of Ephesians as as we've begun this book study, that you go back and meditate on those first three chapters. It is so important to your Christian life, to the foundation of your Christian life. We need to be rooted and built up in these things, Paul says, because it impacts how we are to live our life for him. And so Paul is instructing us in our walk that we are to walk a certain way And uh, as he's instructing us, you know what? We are fully equipped to do these things. All the spiritual blessings have been given to us. All true Christians possess all spiritual blessings. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, that we are saved unto good works. God has energized us through our birth in Christ to fulfill this walk in our life. We are in Christ. Christ is in us. We are all one new person, one new man. We are filled with the fullness of God. God can be glorified in his church. God has enabled us to maintain the the unity of the church. And we are to conduct ourselves in a worthy walk based upon the convictions of our heart and what, what Christ has done. 
Look at Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. Paul just doesn't refer to this in the book of Ephesians. Let's look at another letter, Philippians chapter 2, verse 27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come to see you or am absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 10. Colossians 1.10 says, So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 12. Luke is competing with me this morning. I hear him. <laughs> Luke, Luke chapter, or first, Luke, he's thrown me off, gotten me distracted. First Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 12. We exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. So when it comes to our walk and how we are to walk, specifically, this is not an option. This is a command. Walk worthy. Don't live your life in such a way that it is going to Cripple the message of the saving power of the gospel. We are witnesses of what Christ has done in our lives internally. And so how do we preserve, how do we maintain the unity of the body of Christ? Number one, with, with humility. Number two, with gentleness. Number three, with patience. And number four, with bearing with one another in love. So let's look at humility once again for just a moment. Humility is thinking of yourself less. You know, when it comes to this word humility, it was Christians who coined this phrase. You won't find this word in the Greek. Um, Greeks were opposed to this word humility. They didn't think it was something that uh, was uh, <clears throat> that a, a person should be living by. Uh, humility was just a, a very offensive word to them. But for the Christian, it is to define who we are. We are to live our lives with humility, walk worthy of, of, of who you are. Um, and in order to be able to walk in humility, we need to um, see, understand our unworthiness. 
We are who we are, not because of what we've accomplished. It's purely by the grace of God that he has made us worthy. You know, we need to... uh, we need to have some self-awareness. Paul was aware of who he was. Paul was an amazing individual. He took the gospel to, to many different countries. He planted many churches. He wrote letters of the New Testament. But Paul would describe himself as the chief among sinners. He was well aware of his sinfulness and what the grace of God had done in his life. What's our memory verse this month? Romans chapter 5, verse 8. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Paul knew that. While he was a sinner on his way to Damascus to persecute Christians, he was stopped dead in his tracks by the presence of Christ. And his life was transformed. While he was yet a sinner, an enemy of God, God chose Paul. Paul knows he's the chief among sinners. Not only does he know that he's the chief among sinners, but um, God had his way of keeping Paul humble. The Bible says that uh, Paul had a thorn in his flesh. Now, we're not sure what that thorn is. Some people think it was a person, and, uh, and Paul prayed that God would remove the thorn God didn't remove the thorn. Others, others think the thorn was uh, his physical eyesight. You know, when, when he was encountered, when he encountered Christ on the road to Damascus, he was blinded. And, uh, and those, the, the scales of, those eyes had to, of his eyes had to fall off for him to see once again, uh, to be healed of that infirmity. So, but, but there was, there was a... Um, there was a thorn. Paul prayed that it would go away. It never went away. And he knew that God had shown so much to Paul that this was God's way of keeping Paul humble, keeping Paul dependent on, on his uh, relationship with Christ. You know, I haven't talked about the chosen very much. You know, I, I know... I know that there's some issues with uh, this, this, this series. Um, what's been put together has been really well done. Um, but, but there's some caution there when we watch The Chosen. Because there's some people who look at The Chosen and think, this is the Bible. I mean, these things really happened. And friends, no, they didn't. Uh, uh, Jenkins, what's Dallas Jenkins, has taken a lot of artistic liberty in telling this story, 
And it's really well done. But uh, we need to be careful and not believe more in the Jesus of the chosen than we do in the Jesus of the Bible. Church, we need to be growing in God's word with what the word of God says and not rely in our spiritual growth on watching the chosen series, okay? With that said, you know, I I just want to encourage you, but uh, the chosen series is very well done. There's some other things I'm I'm, I'm concerned about, but I'm not going to go into it now. But uh, I just want to mention something about uh, the last episode I saw. It was season three, episode two. And Jesus had a conversation with uh, the lesser James, or little James, as they call him in The Chosen. Um, Jesus was sending out his disciples uh, by twos, and he had um, paired up his disciples to, to uh, go to um, the children of Israel, the Jewish people. And little James came to Jesus, and little James had an infirmity. He was somewhat crippled, and he was uh, concerned about taking this this message that the Messiah has come and the Messiah is doing all of these incredible things and taking that message and um, God using that message to heal people that little James is going to encounter. Little James is questioning Jesus. Do I have the ability to do that? God hasn't healed me. I would be a hypocrite. Or, um, you know, how are people going to believe my message, Lord? If, If God hasn't healed me, what am I to do? And it was a powerful moment. And uh, it, will, it would minister to people who are going through affliction, who have, who have handicaps, who have physical struggles that God hasn't healed. And Jesus asked little James, little James, do you believe that God can heal you? Yes. Jesus goes on to discuss the fact that God hasn't healed you and yet God loves you and God is entrusting you with this infirmity to be his witness and that God is real no matter what happens in your life here. God is going to heal ultimately when you get there. And I love singing that song this morning when we all get to heaven. I was singing that song with tears in my eyes. You know, when we all get to heaven, the first person we're going to see is going to be Jesus. What a glorious sight that will be. What there's going to be a sweet reunion with other loved ones that has gone before us, and it's going to be a blessed time 
for all eternity. And not only that, if you have, have, have had an infirmity all the days of your life or most of the days of your life or at the end of your life, you know, when you, when you get to heaven, you are going to be completely made well. No more pills. No more hospitals. No more pain. No more hospital bills. Amen? No more graveyards. No more memorial services. It's going to be life eternal. I don't know why I've gone that direction, but uh, let me bring us back for just a second. Uh, so Paul had this thorn, but Paul has built this thorn into Paul's life. God has built this thorn into Paul's life to keep him humble. And then in another way that God keeps us humble is by the permission that he may grant Satan to sift you like wheat. You know, Peter had a problem with pride. He told Jesus, you know, Jesus, I'll never turn my back on you. You can count on me. And yet, Jesus looked at Peter in the eyes and said, Peter, before the cock crows three times tonight, before the cock crows, you will have denied me three times. Satan has asked that he might sift you like wheat. But Jesus says, Peter, I'm praying for you that when you, when you return to the faith, that you strengthen your brethren. And so God permits evil in our lives for his own purposes. I think we talked about that a lot Wednesday night in Craig's class, that... Uh, God permits, God uses evil for his own purposes. And so these are ways that God keeps you and I humble. And so we need to have self-awareness. We're not as good as we think we are. It's only the grace of God. And so you and I, need to walk in humility. And then, when, then now we come to gentleness. Another word for gentleness is meek. But it is strength under control. All right? So what is the opposite of gentle? The opposite of gentle is revengeful. It it's to choose to retaliate. 
It is vindictive. It is bitter. It's easily angered. That's the opposite of gentleness. But we are to walk, to have the worthy walk of gentleness, of meekness. Matthew chapter 5, verse 5 says, Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the kingdom of earth. They, they shall inherit earth. Galatians chapter 5, verse 23 says, gentleness is one of the fruits of the Spirit, one of the nine fruits. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11 says, the man of God is marked by his gentleness. The man or woman of God is marked by their gentleness. Now, that doesn't mean being weak or cowardly, all right? When you think of the word gentle, again, this is, a, this is a word that's marked by Christians. There's not a Greek word for this uh, either. Uh, they, the, the Greeks saw the word gentleness as being very uh, offensive that is not to ascribe. Uh, describe them either but um, this word for gentle it is it doesn't mean weak or cowardly it means that uh, your power is formidable in christ it's under the control of the will of god and the holy spirit again we've been blessed with all the spiritual gifts in christ Okay, we have the ability to do this, to be this, if we'll just surrender our hearts and lives to the will of God. Look what the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 25, verse 28. Like a city that is broken into, like a city that is broken into and without a wall is a man without restraint over his spirit. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 32 says, He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he who rules his own spirit than he who captures a city. You're better than the person um, who is, is mighty when you are slow to anger. When you can rule your own spirit. In church, Jesus is our greatest example when it comes to gentleness. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 11, verse 29. Come to me and learn of me because I am gentle and lowly. This is our Lord. So if you're looking for an illustration of what gentleness and loneliness looks like, look no further than Jesus. Was he weak? Was Jesus cowardly? Absolutely not. He blasted the temple system on two different occasions. One at the beginning of his ministry and one at the end of his ministry. 
They were abusing the religious people. The religious leaders were abusing their father's house and taking, taking advantage of those who wanted to come and worship the Lord. Jesus condemned the hypocrites and the leaders of Israel. And he fearlessly stood before the crowd that wanted to stone him before he disappeared. Jesus was not passive about sinful behavior. When the leaders of the temple were charging exorbitant prices for the sacrifices, Jesus knew his father's name and house was being dishonored, and he had tremendous zeal for his father's house, and that caused Jesus to respond. But understand this. Jesus never wielded his power to defend himself. It was always about um, his father's name. It was always about um, those who were um, on the outside um, who were the most vulnerable. Jesus defended those individuals. And Jesus taught us to show great strength and protection for the most vulnerable. Look what Jesus says in Luke chapter 17. Look at Luke chapter 17. And these are the words of our gentle and meek Lord and Savior Jesus, okay? Verse 17, and he said to his disciples, temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he was cast into the sea, then he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. So Jesus wants you and I to forgive those who have offended, offended them. How many times? Seven times 70, Jesus told Peter, okay, which means basically don't count. But when it comes to um, causing other people to sin, Jesus is going to stand up for those individuals. Jesus said it's better for a millstone to be hung around their neck and cast them out into the sea. I mean, that's our gentle and meek and lowly Savior saying those things. Jesus took offense of that and stood up for the most vulnerable. Okay? And so when it comes to gentleness and it's against you, Jesus says, don't defend yourself. God is going to use this in your life. Evil 
is going to serve his own purposes. Jesus never defended himself. Only the honor of his father's name and those who were most vulnerable. Jesus has set the example. We see this in Isaiah chapter 53. Uh, This prophecy of Jesus going to the cross and dying for our sin 700 years before it happened. He said not a word. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 21 through 24. We are almost done. I know my family over here is saying, yeah, right. We are almost done. Verse 21, chapter 2. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not, thre- he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and to live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. And so Jesus has set the example of how you and I are to live meek and gentle lives. someone deeply offended you, someone critical of who you are, they've caused harm in your life, Jesus says, don't say a word. Don't seek vengeance. Be gentle. Be meek. God uses evil for his sovereign purposes in your life. Trust him. And so humility and gentleness helps lead to the true identity of the church. It it maintains that unity. It maintains what the Spirit has already done in the life of the church. And we have a responsibility to help preserve that. So, never think that you should get your own way. You should always want God's way. Defend God. Defend His kingdom. Defend His truth. And in doing so, my friends, that is going to be costly. But as you do, 
and forces of evil come against you. With humility and gentleness, you are showing power under control. And so with that, I have some application questions for you this morning. Okay? First is, how are you doing in walking in humility and gentleness? Do you always seek to make peace, not trouble, not gossip, but pursue forgiveness and restoration? That's what a gentle person will do. Do you respond to the word humbly and meekly? Do you receive counsel and instruction as love from people who disagree with you? Again, Realize you may be at odds with them. You don't sense it as if it's love. But you know what? There's always a grain of truth in every word of criticism. God uses evil for his sovereign purposes. As hard as this might be, to receive. Don't respond in anger. Don't respond with vengeance. Be humble. Be gentle. Be meek. Say thank you. (laughs) And let God use it in your life. Do you rise to the defense of your Savior and your God and the vulnerable with his truth. Those last two are hard for me. Oftentimes it's hard for me to receive criticism with love. It's hard for me to be quiet. I want to defend myself. And oftentimes I do when I shouldn't have. I need to put a muzzle in it. But then there are times where I see the vulnerable being abused I stay silent and I should come to their defense and defend truth. Stand for truth and be willing to face the consequences. Paul was gentle. He was meek. He was humble. But he stood his ground when it was necessary. And it cost him his very life. 
this precious treasure of the gospel that God has entrusted to each and every one of us in the life of the, of the church. It is worth protecting and defending and proclaiming in love. That's what humble and gentle and meek believers must do because we are giving testimony of the incredible spiritual blessings that God has poured into each and every one of us. May we be reminded of this, these truths as we move forward. Let's pray this morning. Father, these are hard words. And it's really easy to be full of pride in ourselves and rather than the fullness of God. God, may the, may the truth of your word set us free. May the truth of your word humble us and fill us with all the beautiful truth of God, what you have done in our lives. May we experience the love of Christ, not just with our head, but with our heart, with our spirit. And may these truths transform our walk with you and with one another in your church. And as we leave this place into our communities, into our homes, with our loved ones, with our co-workers, Lord, it's not about us. It's about Christ in us. Thank you that you have equipped us to live according to these commands. So Lord, we look to you and we say thank you this morning for who you are. Bless this time of invitation. If there's one here this morning who's struggling, Lord, there's been evil that has come up in their lives. And, and uh, Lord, they don't understand. But God, you have a purpose. Lord, if they need prayer this morning for strength, uh, Lord, I pray that they would step out and, Lord, we could pray over them this morning. But that there's one here without Christ, Lord, that today would be the day of their salvation. Jesus, you have died for them. And you want to pour out your blessings into their life, but they must surrender their life to you. Admit that they're a sinner and believe that Christ died for them, rose from the grave, wants to call them his very own. Lord, bless this time of invitation as we worship you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Would you stand?